Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. Hey everybody, this episode is going to be just a roundup of some calls that have come in uh, from Daniel Norton and Jason Connerly, and that's that's what we'll do for this episode. So, without further ado, let's take it away, Jason. Hey BJ, Jason here, listen to your latest episode, and since it was Daniel's call that I just listened to, I think it's okay to stop listening to the episode and call you, because that's what Daniel does all the time. Reference to order operations and turn order and all that kind of thing. It's funny that I, I don't I know Carl just released an episode. He may have talked about this in that episode, but in a recent game of Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyboria that Arlen Walker over at Live from Helm's Wasteland's running. It's a great game, it's a lot of fun. He does a great job jamming. All the players in that game are great. So this isn't any reflection on them, but in a recent game of that we 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 kind of bumped heads a little bit because of turn order. Because it, it was, we were playing a little bit loose as far as who goes when. And so we had a talk at the end of the session and we decided even when we're not in combat, we're, we're going to do a, a definitive around the table. Okay, what do you do? Okay, what do you do? Okay, what do you do? I, I think having a solid turn order even at a combat helps because it helps, especially for online games. In person games, it's not so bad. But if you're playing online, People have a tendency to talk over each other if they have an idea. And if there's no set initiative, people want to get that idea out. But if you know your turn is coming up, then it's easier for you to hold that idea and talk about it. Maybe you can address that from a, you know, a a study of the human kind of perspective, psychology. Um, But I I think there is something, too. If you know you have a turn coming up, you're more willing to wait. Where if you don't, you want to blurt out what's on your mind right away, or, or at least... That's my experience. But, yeah, the the other problem we had in that, that game, of course, we're using a VTT with tokens, and people were, you know, not waiting for their turn. They weren't only moving their token on their turn. They were moving around to explore the map because we're using dynamic lighting. So, you know, if we had turn orders and we acted in turn order and people didn't move their token unless it was their turn order, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But since people were able to move their tokens... And, and there wasn't a set turn order during exploration phase, or, you know, when we were exploring, when we were fighting, then you, you just have tokens moving around the map, looking around, and everybody's kind of doing their own thing, and it turns into chaos. So we're, we're going to stick to our turn order, you know, for the entire game, kind of like what ICRPG does. Um, and I think there is something to that. Obviously, you're not locked into a certain turn order if people want to do something out of order or whatever. It's, hey, can I go ahead and do this? Yeah, go ahead. You know, but the, the key is that everybody's not trying to do everything at once. And I think it's just a phenomena of the video game aspect of VTTs and not sitting at a table. Because if we were with a paper map and minis, people wouldn't be everybody trying to move their minis all at once, right? So I, I think it's just a, something you have to work around online play and turn orders really help. Hey, Jason, you mentioned index card RPG, and yeah, that, that's actually initially where I first got the idea to keep people in a turn order, even outside of combat during during exploration and things like that, and then I just I got focused on doing something else in this last session and, and dropped that, and, and as I had mentioned, a couple of the players even mentioned they liked it better when we used the, the, the combat order, even when we weren't in combat, just to help everybody know what turn we were going in and when their turn was coming up 
Um, on the VTT, I don't know what VTT you guys use. I was using Fantasy Grounds, and I long ago, um, Fantasy Grounds has a lock token option, which says, which means when the player moves their token, it doesn't move. It, it, it draws a trajectory to where they want to go, and then the GM has to approve that movement. And I, I, I never used that feature when when we first started, and then finally, um, as we got into using kind of bigger maps, I had to do that because yeah, some people have that tendency to to move their token around, and they reveal parts of the map that they're not supposed to see yet, <laughs> or go places, and 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 man, potentially, you know, if, if you're going to be strict about it as a GM, it's like, oh well, congratulations, you just wandered off. 500 yards from your colleagues and they're, they're into a room full of ogres and now you're they're going to ambush you which you know you're right people wouldn't do that <laughs> with minis in a map they couldn't because you wouldn't have that much of the map available on the physical tabletop but because of the nature of vtt's um yeah it just kind of changes things so I, I use the token lock i don't know if that's available in roll 20 or any of the other major vtt's but it is a feature of fantasy grounds that we use the other thing is the first time we introduced dynamic lighting, which was fairly recently, same problem. Uh, people were not cognizant of who did and didn't have a torch amongst the human characters. And uh, so, yeah, a couple of people got left in the dark because they weren't keeping up with the torch bearers. Um, so I think it's slowly coming together. Everybody's got to get used to the features of, of, of how we're doing things. But I think going back to a between a turn order and you can't move until the GM approves the move it's like everybody tell me where you're going to move and then i can remind people you know if you if you go off in that direction the, the person carrying the torch is, is currently headed in a different direction you guys might want to sort out what you're doing there before somebody gets left alone in the dark um uh as far as uh i guess the psychology of people you know, behaving differently online i think i think that's you know at this point it'd be conjecture just off the top of my head but uh you know i've noticed this in, in both gaming but also having spent the better part of a year and a half working from home uh in fact we we, we came back into the office where i work just in june but as soon as the delta variant started to emerge we went back to even though we're still in the, physically in the office we're still we're back to doing all our meetings on zoom we were hoping to get our some of our meetings going back in person but you know safety first so i think i think it's just uh the the distance when you're not physically in the presence of another person you miss out on a lot of the nonverbal cues that tell you that person is trying to say something or that person has, has you've talked so long that no one else is paying attention to you anymore <laughs> uh you don't see that even even in a zoom call where everybody's got their camera on you just kind of miss that there's just something absent about being in the physical presence of other people that we're some of our natural ability to kind of get into sync with one another and to have that give and take and that, that natural flow is gone in a, in a virtual environment even like i said when everybody has their cameras on and you can see faces and you kind of see facial expressions but uh there's just a there's just a an element that's missing because it's kind of artificial um that's just conjecture on my part i'm sure there's somebody out there doing some research on it right now if it hasn't already been done certainly with the the, the wave of the future i mean virtual meetings aren't going away even when the pandemic is over so um that's, that's a question i think we're gonna have to answer 
just, just as a culture, as a society, because it's going to affect education and business and people getting together just to have fun with their friends. So, yeah, that's an interesting question. I wish I had a more definitive answer on that one. Uh, thanks for the call on that. And I think we've got here we've got another call from Jason on a different topic. So I really enjoyed your DCC recap. I'll go listen to Carl's next. Um, we'll, we'll see if he gives away any secrets that uh, I was keeping from you guys. But no, I have a lot of fun with DCC. I really enjoy the system for some reason because it's a little bit more gonzo and zany. I I, I feel more empowered to really ham it up with the characters. Um, but all in all, I, I think it's a well-designed system. I, I know Carl was defaulting to 3.5 rules instead of looking things up. And, you know, maybe somebody said that because obviously, you know, it's based on that, that Watsy era. D&D is where the genesis, the, the core of the system kind of comes from, although it's greatly modified. But I think with DCC, it's much more conducive to rulings over rules and leave out that Watsy junk. Uh, all in all, though, it was a really fun session. I was glad I was able to play with you and I look forward to the next one. You know, it's funny. I Of the games I've played, my favorite TSR era retro clone is definitely Ash, Astonishing Swordsman, Sorcerer's Hyboria. Although I do have, a, I do really like Fantastic Heroes and Wizardry, although that I've never actually got it to the table and played it, and it's kind of been abandoned now, unfortunately, for I don't know all the exact reasons. So, of the you know current available games and thing, although you can still buy them drive through RPG, that's more of a Beck me clone. But Ash is probably my favorite of the TSR clones, and then of the Watsy era D and D products, and I say era include other companies. By far, DCC is my favorite. I, I actually don't mind Pathfinder. I, I kind of like Pathfinder, but DCC is by far my favorite. Unlike you, I still consider DCC to be high fantasy because you have other player races and you have all this kind of crazy stuff. But that said, it definitely has sword and sorcery elements in there. It's got the dangerous magic and the fickle deities, which which I really love. DCC is my flavor of fantasy, without a doubt. The If I want a more sword and sorcery style game, like a Conan style game, human-centric kind of game, then Ash really scratches that itch. But between those two, honestly, I, I think I'd be pretty happy just with Ash and DCC for my D&D style games. Although I still want to get a, a game of OD&D with Chainmail, a la Daniel Norton, on the table one of these days. So big fan of Barbarians Lemurian of other systems, but of the D20 systems out there, I could be pretty happy with those two. Although occasional crunchy combat with Pathfinder would be okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying the DCC. I I, <laughs> I really whiffed my summary. So again, I would recommend to everybody go just go read, just go listen to Carl Rodriguez's on the Geomology presents his his summary. He 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 put in a lot more detail that I kind of overlooked when I did my summary. I think I was so excited about the fact that my character did a couple of really cool things that I, I kind of got hyper focused on what I did and, and didn't really do a lot of description of. Uh, what everybody else has done so I'll, I'll try to do better about that in the future um yeah i, I like I, I think i'm i'm the system dcc is probably gonna the dungeon crawl classics is 
going to keep growing on me. I, I'm enjoying it, and probably at some point we'll we'll try to run it myself as a, as a game master. Um, I, I do like the the magic system as an alternative to Vancey and Magic. If if you want want to try something different, I like the way they do it in DCC. The uh, first issue of Carcass Crawler, which is the old school Essentials uh, official zine, uh, actually has an alternative versions of. Um, magic users and clerics that use a percentile system to cast a, a very focused number of spells. And I guess you, know, you don't get the same variety you get in Dungeon Crawl Classics, but I can kind of see the parallel as here's just a, you know, you can cast your spell and there's a percent chance it'll work. Um, so even though it, it looks like it works a little more like Thief Skills and OSE, it does have that same, here, here's an alternative to Fancy and Casting. Um, I don't know if I'd use that in old school essentials, um, but it, it it is interesting to see people present different approaches to magic. Um, besides just kind of get, getting stuck in the paradigm of a, a fancy and spell slot system, because um, it seems like 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 I don't know how many times Wizards <laughs> of the Coast I've thought they cannot for the life of them abandon the spell. I don't know if someone's like got a gun to the head of. Somebody Hasbro that says you you can never ever ever abandon spell slots in D and D, because even when they give you alternatives for like spell points and other ways of doing things, it, it always comes back to you use your spell points to create a spell slot. It's I don't know. It can get kind of. <laughs> I'm on a little bit of a ramp here. I don't I don't dislike Vancy and Magic, but um, it is neat to see alternatives sometimes depending on the kind of feel you want to get or. It changes the parameters when you when you use different magic systems. Um, anyway, um, thanks for the call, Jason. Uh, and now we will turn to a call from Daniel Norton. Hey, BJ. Daniel from Reddit's Keep Calling in, talking about uh, the idea of adding these special abilities and stuff from 5e to, to BX and how that might be maybe not the best thing because of low hit points. See, I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's because... I like the system better than the modern system, so I don't see it that way. Um, I think that's just roleplay stuff. I feel like the extra stuff that 5e adds tends to be damaging, and you don't need to do that, right? Why can't your kobolds uh, throw something on the characters that make them sneeze and slow down or or uh, so they can quickly ambush them? Why don't they have nets fall on them instead of, uh, you know, some kind of damaging thing? Why not uh, have the orcs, you know... Uh, surround them or trick them or use some kind of military strategy. I think that the difference between the different monsters should be a role-play difference, a, a way that you play them. They shouldn't all just be, oh, this one has more hit points than that. It really should be that orcish culture is different than goblin culture is different than kobolds, at least in my opinion. I think one of the most interesting things that we can kind of do as uh, as DMs is, at least for my style, uh, is to get the players to think outside the idea of what's on their sheet or what's written in the book or what's the thing and just say what they want to do and do things. And I think that you'll actually find that you'll have amazingly interesting combat, even if all the stats of the, all the monsters were exactly the same. Because as soon as you start removing special abilities that are written in the character sheet, special abilities that are written in the book, everything that you do becomes unique, you know? Uh, and I think that's a, the approach that I would take to making BX type monsters different. I wouldn't look at the orcs and go, Oh, they have, such and such strategy ability, I'm trying to think what they have in 5e, uh, which means that they get a bonus to their attack. No, because that's just going to kill the characters, like you said. 
but the orcs being more militaristic and maybe being more organized and allowing the characters to see that so they can use that maybe to their advantage. And of course, I can't just leave one message. Uh, <laughs> this is three now. Uh, but I got now I want to roll about the orcs. So for instance, let's say that you've got a group of orcs and they are militaristic and they are, or probably more likely to be hobgoblins, so it would be like that, but whatever. And you see they, or they march in, in order and they, 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 they do ranks and they fight like this and they take turns. And that's really deadly. I mean, think of the Romans, right? But also then think about the idea of people who are taught to fight that way, but then being confronted by those that don't follow the rules, right? So you know that the hobgoblins always march forward in the straight line and confront their foes in the middle of a field. So you, you know, get up there ahead of time and you plant pit traps there, or you, you ambush them and you do things that the hobgoblins wouldn't normally be known for doing. So they can actually be tricked and their kind of honor as soldiers doesn't allow them to, to, to change the way that they fight, that kind of thing. So... I feel like that's what I would do in a game like BX or original Dungeons and Dragons versus, let's say, a 5e thing of just saying, like, oh, they have advantages. Uh, Daniel, I think I think we're pr- pretty much on the same page for a lot of the same reasons there. Uh, yeah, the, the the math, the the system of, of BX doesn't accommodate that kind of stuff mechanically, but it can very much do it through how you roleplay the monsters. And, and that's, that's kind of how I've tried to do that. Um, you know, they avoided a fight with the kobolds because of again reaction rolls and things like that and they were they were they were willing to negotiate and, and kind of get to the point of why are you here <laughs> you know why are you guys here why why are you in this mine that you're not supposed to be in and find out well the kobolds have been forced to do it you know it could have easily been a fight if they had just walked in there and started killing kobolds um Versus the goblins, they 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 took a more aggressive stance with the goblins, uh, and did pretty well though because the goblins are still relatively weak. But once they started hitting into those hobgoblins, that's where we. I did role play the hobgoblins as, as using a little more tactic, a little more strategy. They're a little less likely to break and run, um, and uh, that's where we wind up losing a couple of our our uh, PCs because of uh, getting, you know, the the, the hobgoblins not just being reactive to you uh, coming into our, our, our lair they're, 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 you know, you came in you, you caused some disturbances and you, you left so now we've, we've re-fortified the entrance and there's a new problem to solve um, so yeah, I think I think you, you can do it through the role playing um, and still get a different feel but, but the, the DM has to um, the DM has to come up with that whereas I, I think in, in like 4th and 5th edition they gave you the mechanics of the monsters are meant to or imply a certain culture and ta- approach to combat and approach to uh, interactions and things like that. That, uh, But again, that system can tolerate that because of, like I mentioned before, the, the, the difference in hit points and armor class and things like that. So, so I think we're more or less on the same page. Uh, I, I do think uh, it's a good idea for players to just decide what they're going to do before they look at their character sheet. Uh, and then, you know, the DM can help resolve how that's going to work using, using the abilities they have, or maybe they've got to, you've got to make a ruling, but, um, that's, uh, that's, um, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of a segue back to, uh, what, um, what Jason was talking about with the virtual tabletop where I mentioned locking down tokens. I, I've noticed sometimes too, that players will if they're bored, they'll start rolling dice 
um, or, the, or, or, or the, a VT, on a VTT, they're more apt to roll a die before asking the DM, should I roll a die or waiting on the DM to say, roll for this. Um, and so then I've got to sort through all these different die rolls. So sometimes I wonder if locking down die rolls would, would be helpful, but that seems overly punitive. and <laughs> It's not that big of a problem. I'm not really dumping on my, my players. They're, they're, they're good players. But I, I have noticed that as another feature of the VTT is... Um, I guess VTTs do cause you to look at your character sheet more. Again, because you're not sitting in the at, at the table with other people, uh, so they may naturally promote that tendency to look to, to look to the character sheet for solutions instead of just interacting with the GM and the other players. Um, anyway, thanks for the call. I always appreciate it, and uh, we'll move on to the next thing. All right, that's going to do it. Uh, Thank you for listening, and I want to thank my callers, Daniel Norton from the Bandit's Keep and Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Everybody take care care out there, and I'll be back later. And that's it for this episode of The Arcane Alienist. I want to thank Dave Bone for the cover art that I use for the episodes. Check out ironseer.com. And the music is... Come and get it by Scott Holmes Music. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, give me a call sometime through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, and I'll be back in the future with another episode.